Hello and welcome to Bad Music Hurts, the friendly music club podcast where my siblings and I discuss our favorite music. This is episode 19, and today we're talking about Band of Horses's Horses's Horsei <laughs> Grammy-nominated 2010 record, Infinite Arms. I'm Mark Barrowcliffe, and I just put a bullet through my Kia Lorenzo. But <laughs> things are looking up, because on the other end is my brother and Mead Sommelier, Michael Barrowcliffe. Hi, Michael. Hey, coming live from Pine Point here today. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. Amongst the the trees and the lake, just like what's inspired this album. So I'm excited to talk about this today. Yeah, yeah. This one's been on our list for a while, mm-hmm. um, and I'm glad that we're finally getting to it. Um, it was one of those ones that like we both added it to the like short list of albums that we wanted to talk about. But for whatever reason, it was never really one that that bubbled all the way up. But I was doing one of my many routine revisits <laughs> to this record. I'm like, you know, we we both have had this record now for I think we've been aware of it for what must be 12 years at this yeah. point, because mm-hmm. the thing released in 2010 and we found out about it pretty soon after its release. Mm-hmm. So and I just it's one I keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. And it shocks me because I mean, we'll get into it, but I don't think this is a perfect record. I wouldn't even say this is a great record i i have a lot of thoughts on this but it is mm-hmm. one that i just it it is a friendly place a comforting place an easy listening sipper yeah. i love it i absolutely love this record it's interesting you mentioned that because that was one thing that i was coming when i was trying to like tie a bow on my notes that was one thing that i kind of highlighted is like it really does feel like home so you described how, OK, I kept kind of coming back to this record. I don't think I ever left because <laughs> I was looking on my phone on play count on Marvis and this album. I don't know how far back this play count total goes to, but it's 1,247 total plays. What the Jesus <laughs> Christ. What the so looking at my phone, so I'm pulling it up right now. Wow. If I go to Marvis's homepage here. Uh, yeah, albums play oh count. God. Um, the only contender that's close to it is Vacationer's Relief. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. So I this is kind of surprising to me too because I knew I liked this album. I just didn't know that I liked it that much. Apparently, with the play count. Um, but I agree, it's something that's always been a steady. I think mm-hmm. I, it's not something I've ever left or like revisited. It's always been something that's kind of been in the play rotation because it does feel like home and it's comforting for me and uh it brings forth a lot of like nice memories or kind of uh like moments or thoughts uh so the one thing i would disagree with you on is this one is up there i would say in my top albums it's one of the ones that uh you actually printed the fracture for me um yeah on and uh yeah so i would say for me it's it's up there i agree there are some uh onesie twosie flaws but there's there's not any any album without those so yeah of course of course i've been trying to find out a way to articulate my thoughts on the project as a whole and i I think i'm gonna use it to what i think is like the the complete foil to this kind of record which would be something like benji (laughs) so sun kill moon's benji which I'm going to have to dip into something that I can use as an analogy. Beer. (laughs) Benji is like a really heavy barrel aged Belgium triple. Yeah, tastes (laughs) like like feet. (laughs) 
Oh God, yes! Like it is. It's going to hit you in the face. It's going to be an experience. You're along for the ride. Buckle up. But mm-hmm. like, it's going to leave you maybe a little bit winded, <laughs> and maybe a little mm-hmm. bit worse for wear in the morning. Like, oh God, what happened last night? <laughs> what did I listen to? Um, Benji has that effect on people in the best possible way, but. That's not something you want all the time. Uh, like a good heavy beer is not something you're, you know, you should be having anyway every single day. Yeah. But this project, Infinite Arms, I, I, I think I finally kind of clicked with it. Like I, this is a very well done, refreshing light pilsner of an album. Like it's, <laughs> it's got fruity notes, maybe a little bit of floral notes. It's got character. There's depth to it, but it is refreshing. It's mm-hmm. very easy to digest, very easy to just literally put the thing on repeat and not get sick of it because it yeah. feels just so crisp and and uh, cooling to your mental Mindscape. So, yeah, I I think that's why I continue to come back to this because it does fit that niche yeah. in a way that doesn't feel like patronizing or derivative or boring or whatever. Because it ha- it's it's got character and it it has the embellishments and texture and everything that you would want from also a good pilsner, but it still is digestible mm-hmm. and repeatable. It has substance to it. I think that's. Um what I agree with you, right? Yes, it is like in your analogy, the Pilsner with it has some of these notes, but especially on this re-listen to it, I discovered new things that I hadn't noticed before and gained a new mm-hmm. appreciation for some of these songs. And I think it goes back to, because I was reading some interviews with uh, Ben in the band, the reason it is so refreshing, such an easy play is that they literally said like, oh, th- this is what a record sounds like. It, it finally feels like things clicked for this band with this album. They said that they had a lot of fun doing it. It was fully self-produced, self-funded, and recorded by Ben's own label, Brown Records. They, heck, they almost went broke doing it. But I think <laughs> that it shows through in this album that energy, the love, the care, the personal nature of it. Yeah, I, I, it definitely comes through. And I, I think the listener is able to pick up on those notes and that character in the album. Like it, it, They definitely had fun with it. Uh, heck, yeah. They have two live recorded tracks on this album, too, where I guess they must have recorded it and kind of liked the take and it stuck. And those two are uh, older and compliments are the two live recorded ones they have on here. And I, I think you're definitely onto something because that that energy, that excitement um, likely has a lot to do also with the fact that this is like the first time the lineup was solidified because before it was basically a revolving door. People were coming and going pretty, pretty quickly. But the uh, bandmates that came together for this, Ben is on record saying with this album, it's a real band that I'm a part of this time and no one's going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And there's something to that because the bandmates that recorded this stuck around for many, many, many years. So it's probably I think it is the longest lineup that started with this (laughs) album that Band of Horses has ever had. And since uh, some of the members have left, we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, but yeah, this is like the start of Band of Horses proper. Um, that we know them today. So it is kind of like a first, the first album for them. Yeah. And he's been quoted on the press release saying that it is the first real Band of Horses album. And I agree with that 100%. I want to talk about the album art just a little bit. I love this album art. I was about to say, I have a whole section of my notes talking about this album art. It reminds me a lot of kind of where we just were this past May, kind of that Great Basin area with the mountains 
and kind of the deserty landscape. But yeah, what do, what do you like? What, what's standing out for you on this? Uh, so honestly, I don't have a lot to say about it other than that I think it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. And to me, matches the tone of the album pretty well. It's very reflective, introspective in a way that a lot of the songs here are, where it's um, a narrator or Ben kind of blurring between the two and a lot of them going internally and thinking about problems they're having, both with themselves, with spouses, um, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I, there's something there's something reflective and meditative about looking up at the night sky. So yeah, to I, me, I think they they do it. It's a perfect compliment to the sounds that we're about to hear. I agree. I think that's it's a visual depiction of introspection, right? I think that's what I get from it as well. And I like how it, the night sky, wherever they took this shot and the photographer A plus to whoever did this, the night sky, it's almost taken during, I want to say like dawn or dusk because it, it's not black. It, it's a blue, dark blue, kind of light blue that like there's dynamics to the colors in the night sky. And even with the streaks of the stars have colors, if you look closely, some are more blue some are more white. Some kind of have almost an orangey red tinge to them. It seems like a duality of color. It just seems like blue and then kind of brown at first. But when you look closer at it, it actually has more color and depth to it as well. And um, yeah, I don't know where they took this, but it's it's really interesting that they're able to capture a focal center for the pivot in the sky. I don't know where you would have to be or how you would do that, but it's. It's an impeccable shot. I think it conveys that I'm going to stare up in the night sky for a long time and think. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and like the album itself, to your point, there's more depth here than meets the eye mm-hmm. with the play on colors and the gradients in the sky and the fact that even the stars themselves have different colors because of their intensity or distance from the earth. So it's a very beautiful effect that the more you look at it, the more it has to offer. It's not just a black sky, to your point. Um, and the uh, graphic designer for the album, so I would also assume the person that took the photograph, though that's not necessarily true, but I'm going to assume that for the purposes of our talk here. Yeah, uh, Christopher Wilson did it, who did the other albums for Band of Horses um, up to that point, and potentially beyond that point as well. We I stopped collecting their albums after <laughs> Mirage Rock. Sorry, Band of Horses. But um, uh, this person, the person that has done every album of theirs leading up to Infinite Arms did Infinite Arms as well, so they did everything uh, all the time and ceased to begin as well. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why um, they all share a cohesive, unifying thread of the typeface being repeated throughout. So uh, I think that kind of ties things together like a serialized book. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, nature and rural influence in this album as well, because they were uh, talking about how there were they were living in the Midwest a lot when they were recording this and kind of working through this, uh, particularly in the woods of Minnesota off the lake as well. And I see a lot of that influence in some of the lyrics and instrumental choices as well. I mean, obviously, particularly the self-titled or the... um, Yeah, the self-titled. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, definitely conveys that influence into this album as well. And I really like how the album art reflects that. So any uh, opening statements that you haven't gotten out of the way before we dive into this? Yeah, I I can speak to some other like opening statements like when i think of this album too i think a lot of my time at college uh particularly like i don't know why i have this memory of mom and dad picking me up 
for what was it? It was my freshman year, Thanksgiving or Christmas break. And I remember putting this album on and having the most relaxing just nap in the car because it's all the stress of starting college for the first year. You're trying to get settled and it's like the first real break after getting started. So I don't know. This album kind of has that effect on me. It's very relaxing and relieving and kind of my my opening statement pre-prepared. Let me pull up my script is I, I really think this is an impeccably paced album. It has kind of that intimate country rock songs like we talked about, has an instrumental depth, locational Midwest feel and influence. And for me, some of the lyrics are nonsensical. And Ben has been quoted saying that Ben, he kind of purposely does this. He kind of adds like riddles or stuff that's not really 100% clear. But there are standouts and phrases that are resonant to me. And that's why I kind of like about it is you can kind of tag your own interpretation on it, have your own takeaways from the songs. They're not super specific in certain instances. Um, yeah, I actually went 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 in so far as I plotted. <laughs> oh, God, I, I plotted on my uh, the moleskin that you gave me. I I brought it out and I, I created the Y axis as like energy or like. Say, uh, what's in our stand-in for energy? Like vibrancy, let's say, of the song versus track number. And something that kind of jumped out to me as I was kind of like dotting between low, medium, and high is there's like a pay, like an energy or vibrancy symmetry to this album that I find rather delightful, where we kind of have some medium to a high, and then we kind of get into this basin, and then it kind of peaks again towards the end. And I find that, that's, I think, why this sounds like such a good record is there is this symmetry to it. It sounds like a cohesive whole and it sounds like they were cognizant of what they were doing with piecemealing this together of like, how does this flow? How does this sound from one song to the next? So that's like my high level takeaways, I would say, in terms of a, I guess, opening statement form. That is the nerdiest engineering thing you have ever done. <laughs> I know. Here, let me show you the image here. It's, it's, oh, my God. This is kind of like almost an ordinal scale or a hedonic scale. So I added my... Oh, an ordinal scale. I added yeah. my my uncertainty. <laughs> like, okay, obviously, I'm just one perceptor. But the, I added my own like, okay, I think it's landing somewhere here. <laughs> oh, my God. This is so dumb. I love it. I love it. But Jesus Christ, dude. Um, but you are right, though. The pacing of this album is fantastic. It's absolutely impeccable. Um, and I think that is in part due to they had a very large creative out like burst from this. I think because a lot of these were relatively new band members, but they all were on the same page about we're in this for the long haul. We're band of horses. Let's like just fully dive into this and and have fun play with it as much as we want and they and i think that also was helped by the fact that they were independent on their own label yes. for the first time so they didn't feel beholden to like oh we got to get these tracks out or oh we can't just continue iterating adding texture adding instruments adding background harmonies like we can't just keep doing that because hey my time is money or like oh that's too you, they didn't have the person saying no 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 stop 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 pulling them back so they just like went ham on this and part of the output from that was they had 22 i want i don't want to say songs because ben was hesitant to call them songs but let's say like 22 demos or or um vibes or feels from this and so they had a lot to choose from and there's only what 11 no 12 tracks on this record so they basically threw out half of their ideas or 
kick them down for later uh, albums. Um, so they were very much able to select and derange as they saw fit to uh, cohesively keep the album's tone and message undiluted and kept it uh, focused as much as possible. Because if it was just, oh, we literally just got these 12 songs from our recording sessions for a year, then, you know, you don't really have a lot of wiggle room to get rid of stuff that doesn't really fit the the album, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it paid off. I, it, everything you're saying, I think we're what we're highlighting is all this work and all this intentionality with, okay, we're a band, we're constructing an album, we're kind of doing it on our own. We have the self-ownership over it. It, it paid off. Like you mentioned, this was a Grammy nominated uh, album for best alternative album in the was a 2011, the 53rd Grammy Awards. Uh, this is the same year that Arcade Fire Suburbs. Yep, I was, know. <laughs> uh, took album of the year. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So both the Suburbs and Infinite Arms were both uh, nominees for that alternative album. I think we pretty much covered at least a, a good introduction into this. You want to dive in? Yeah. All right. So the opening track, Factory. gonna have to say it reminds me of wings let me roll it or vacationers turning because turning is also in this similar like the track skipping the track skipping it's not quite starting the engine stalling um and it feels very much that's what's happening here in factory and to me this is my favorite implementation of that songwriting trick or that songwriting method where the engine stalling or the record skipping and it's just not starting it's not catching and for me i think it it works beautifully here because I do like what is skipping here more so than Wings's guitar riff on Let Me Roll It or the um, synths and things in Vacationer's Turning. I didn't quite care for Turning, if you recall. Because it's not frustrating. <laughs> I think that's... No! Right? <laughs> no, it's still very pretty, yes. but it's very much like the engine stalled. And I think that fits beautifully with the actual lyrics of the song where this man just hit the road away from his wife or spouse or girlfriend or whoever. It's not entirely clear, but clearly this man's life is stalling and and not quite catching anymore. And he's kind of listless this entire song. And I think the fact that the song itself is very much with him in that mental state, it's perfect. It matches beautifully. Yeah, and I think the, like you're talking that track skipping, I think pays off because we get this beautiful, grandiose, swinging, like sweet melodic instrumental chorus where they use, um, I think they called it the Memotron when I was looking up on, on Wikipedia. Mm, um, the Memotron. Yeah, and it and also they use, I, I, I'm not sure if they use it in this track, but they use as well the theremin, which Lord Huron uses in Love Like Ghosts and Way Out There. So that's the instrument that uses EM fields and they have their hands over it and they can kind of modulate the EM fields and that translates into kind of some different interesting sounds, uh, kind of electro kind of sounds. But yeah, we get this swinging chorus uh, introduced kind of by that reprise, right, of that drum roll crescendo that kind of kicks us off to the song. 
And I agree, it very much kind of has that reflection of the subject matter. And this is kind of takes me back to college, that solitude and the pursuit of work, kind of that loneliness, that blatant disregard for self-care that kind of comes with that territory. Yeah. Like, this conveys how someone feels when they're in that listless survival mode, like you're saying. You're just so in the thick of just doing the thing that you're kind of losing the bigger picture, right? Um, like, like I one of the lyrics we were talking about the resonant lyrics that jump out for me. The one that jumps out really is it's temporary. This place I'm in, I permanently won't do this again. And that's exactly how I felt about college. Yeah. Get in, get the paper. Let's get out. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting that the, the how they play with this subject matter in such a kind of I don't know, up. it's an uplifting melody. Which is kind of interesting. I wouldn't say it's uplifting, personally. Um, I, I think it's melodramatic s- sadness. It, it's a very sappy kind of song. And I don't mean to say that in a bad way or a derogatory way. I, it is very much almost like you're watching a, a movie and it's the, the man is sitting on the hotel bed. A single tear rolls down his cheek as he looks off into the distance. <laughs> Thinking of the life he left and may or may not ever come back to. I guess uplifting in the sense that it's a little self-indulgent melancholy. Like, I'm sad, so I'm going to listen to or lean into the sadness. And that almost can be consoling. I guess that's kind of what I mean, right? No, and yeah, that was actually a point that he was trying to strive for in an interview with The Skinny (laughs) for Factory. He was like, also, I was trying to make it a bit dramatic sounding in a bittersweet symphony kind of Mm -hmm. way. So there you go, bittersweet. I think maybe that's what we're going for. So what I do want to call attention to real quick, because I I do want to come back to the little thread that I'm setting down here. (laughs) There's the narrator the character for the song. And then, of course, there's the person, the actual real life person writing the song. And they could be anywhere from completely different in terms of like, you know, there's no correlation here whatsoever to autobiographical, where it's basically a one to one. And that's a sliding scale gradient. And I listen to this and I can't help but think that I feel that there's a a bit that is autobiographical here. And that is supported by an interview that he had with Mike uh, Ragogna for the Huffington Post. Um, And when he was asked about Factory, he said, the song just kind of ended up tapping me on the shoulder. And even though some of it is a bit maybe too autobiographical for my own taste, a lot of it still dances around subjects like all my songs do. I try not to be too specific. So he even admits that there's a little bit of his own personal life and potentially personal experiences seeping into this. And that does make me a little bit concerned Mm -hmm. (laughs) about him and his life, not to be too like parasocial about this. But I do think it is important because I do want to touch on like where Band of Horses is now and with their most recent public release, which is. Things are great. <laughs> oh. 2022. And spoilers, it's sarcastic. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, things are great. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> yeah. So I do want to plant that little seed here that there's a little bit of the man himself seeping into this, I think, and even more than I think he meant to potentially in the final product. I like how you frame that up, that, I guess, distinction right of hey there's there's a gradient and continuum of autobiographical nature 
I mean, Lord Huron's a great example of we're, we're very much more in the fictional realm, but there are sprinkles of personal lives and meaning in that. Uh, and what you described kind of made me think as well of what I talked about in the uh, write up for A1A about Jimmy Buffett's A Pirate Looks at 40. That's one where I'm like, all right, Jimmy, you said this is about another guy, but you, I think, had a lot of embellishments and inspiration because there's a lot of autobiographical influence and you resonate with certain aspects of who this person is and that seeps through to the work so all that to say is i really like how you frame that up because i think that's something that i have been i guess subconsciously noticing i just never put words to it and i kind of like how you frame that up and i agree i think that's something that the feeling comes across in this song that i'm in this survival mode i'm probably in the thick of making this album i'm traveling around not around home like and I got gum stuck between my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> now and later's are not gum, but they mind as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I sense a lot of that uh, coming through on this album, that, that personal nature. <laughs> Just uh, what a note to end the opening on. And darling, I never want to come back home. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. But thankfully, things pick right back up with compliments. You have this very melodramatic symphony going on in Factory, and then with compliments, you just got a pure rocker here. And to your point, was this the one that you said, or one of the two that was just a live recording? Yes, yes, it was. This and um, older, I believe, are the are the two that are the live recorded. <laughs> uh, God, I love this song uh-huh. so much, and I I gotta stress, this is the worst solo in the world, <laughs> and I love it. I, I, I You're don't, talking about I the guitar solo, right? I literally have no idea how you do this, where it's like, oh, God, I have 16 measures. What do I do? Uh, I'll play the same note. You're going to do something else. No, the same note. 16 measures. Ah! So I think and what so- gets back to this is Ben doesn't really know how to play guitar. So I don't know if it's no. him doing it or not, but he's been quoted that he's like a reluctant musician. He got in for label work and then just kind of ended up where he did. So I don't know yeah. if the guitar solo is Ben, but if it is, that would kind of explain what's going on. God, here, right? it's, I'm not exaggerating. It is the same note <laughs> played repeatedly for 16 measures. And I love it. It is so good. And when it comes up, I'm just so ready to rock to that same damn note for 16 measures. You have no idea. And like, I can continue putting this on repeat and I don't get bothered by it, mm-hmm. which is stunning to me. It's stunning to me. And I can't help but like, I the only equivalent I can think of to help describe how on earth I can support feeling this way is that it feels a little bit like video game music, where video game music is by design, hyper repetitive um, and designed to not annoy you after the first or second listen. Because if you get sick of hearing that background song for the third time, it loops. Well, guess what? You have to probably listen to it for at least another 50 or 100 loops before you pass this up. Or God help you if it's the song for the entire game, like some older games. And the musicians had a difficult job of trying to make something that was really easy to listen to and nice to listen to. And when it gets stale, when it get boring, when it get um 
irritating. And I feel like potentially accidentally, um, maybe it's just the earnestness here. I think maybe it's a, a combination of the two, but it just does not bother me here. I feel delight. I feel excitement from whoever's playing the guitar. It's got to be Ben. I wouldn't I can't understand why Tyler it being an actual <laughs> guitar player would do this. Yeah. Um, but You know, I guess anything's possible. But yeah. I just I love the earnestness behind it. I get the sense everyone there is really rocking and having a blast. There is this rawness to it, like you described, the energy that gives it such like intimacy and charm. There are imperfections in this with the vocal harmonies don't quite line up at times. It has that. No, they don't. It has, <laughs> they really don't. It has that character and charm that's like the last bison's quill mm-hmm. that it's it, it sucks you in even when it's like, ooh, yeah, you didn't quite land that. It, it doesn't really matter because you feel like you're there, right? It's so human. Mm-hmm. It is unabashedly, unashamedly, unapologetically human. Mm-hmm. There's more pure timbre in the vocals, too. It doesn't have that veneer polish on it, right? That comes with segmenting things, then piecing them together and mixing it, right? Yeah, and this, I think, is the first example of why I would say that this isn't a great record. It's not a great piece of art because, I mean, we need to be honest here. This is not quality musicianship. It's not like you can't play one note (laughs) for 16 measures and have that be considered like high art. I guess maybe you could. But in my opinion, I do think, okay, like you can do a good job at it. But like, let's be honest here. That's not going to compare to something that requires technical skill, Mm -hmm. let's say. Um, And you can screw up stuff that requires technical skill and be not as good as it. But like. This is all to say, this is why I look at this project as a whole, and it very clearly to me is like a, a, a act of love, a work of love and excitement and care. But the musicianship itself isn't quite there. And that's why I think like, yes, it's not a great record, at least in terms of skill. But God help me if I don't love this song. I think the skill is being able to convey an amazing song, in my opinion, without virtuosity right kind of like the jimmy buffett Mm -hmm. dynamic of i got three chords and we're gonna figure it out here right yeah um i think what really works for me instrumentally here is they have i think it's that synth memotron in the backdrop during the instrumental bridge that almost sounds like a choral backdrop which is really interesting um it's it's a different spin rather than doing like a bass backdrop so I think they got really creative within the constraints of to your point. I don't get the sense, especially as he, as he mentioned with the, the solo work and how Ben's described himself as a musician at this time. I don't get the sense that they had big depth in terms of virtuosity, but the skill set is what do you do with that? Right. With the skills that you have and what they do with it is amazing, in my opinion. Yeah. Another point on this, like the songwriting itself and the Uh, Technical skill here is all very simple, Um, very, very basic, very, very simple. However, I think it juxtaposes really interestingly with just how textured and filled (laughs) the the soundscape is here because they're just throwing everything in the kitchen sink and not just for this track, but the project as a whole, for the most part, they're throwing every possible instrument and sound they possibly can into these songs in a way that kind of reminds me a little bit of Grizzly Bear, funnily enough, Yellow House, Mm -hmm. in the way that for Yellow House, they clearly were just constantly adding stuff, constantly adding stuff. 
stuff. Now, Grizzly Bear's Yellow House, obviously a little bit more out there and ambitious and um, required a little bit more skill and technique in the songwriting and the performances than this. But um, I think that's honestly to its favor for Infinite Arms, where it's just so simple, it's so catchy that everyone can immediately listen to it, get it and get into it. But there's all of this interesting stuff going on with the textures and the soundscapes and the instruments they choose and keep adding and adding and the harmonies and all that. And that's why I think it is so one of the reasons why it's so infinitely listenable, because there's always some new piece to focus in on. Yeah. So I want to talk about, like I said, there's phrases and lyrics that really jump out to me that I really like. For example, <laughs> I really like this one. What are people really for? Does anyone even care? <laughs> I like I like this answer to the whole philosophical theologians, right? Of like, oh, does God exist? And like Ben chalks it up is like, well, if he does, at least you have a plan B. Eh, yeah. Who really cares? <laughs> right. But it's just, I love that. I love that retort. <laughs> and then I also here's here's a great example of even beyond infinite arms that Midwest influence coming through uh, deep in the heart of the country was a house I built from logs, a quiet and calm through the day. See the sun burn through the fog. It, it, what I don't know. It just brings forth beautiful imagery. If you're paying attention to the lyrics as you're listening to this and anyone that grew up in the Midwest or spent around time around lakes or in quotations up North, this, these type of lyrics and this type of music, uh, musicianship, I think will resonate with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one, Laredo. Oh, so for me, Laredo, I can see Eagles playing this. It is a very more traditional country rock type of sound to this. Or I'm like, hmm. Like, who else could I see playing this? Like, oh, Eagles. <laughs> hmm. All right. I see you. I, I, I think I could see that. A little bit of a stretch, but I, I can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love this song. And again, I'm going <laughs> to. OK, I, I mentioned it in my beginning shtick, but I cannot describe to you how much I love that stupid line. I put a bullet in my key, Lorenzo. <laughs> it's so bad. And I love it. And I would re- I want to read to you, if I may, an excerpt from a comment from Chris Karate on Genius, who states, <clears throat> there is no way this is correct. This is a wrong lyric that has been copied and pasted all over the place, but I cannot believe that this is the actual lyric. Well, I am here today to tell you, Mr. Chris, in the words of our Lord and Savior Naruto, believe it, Chris, and the stupid lyric is a national treasure. You cannot take this away from me. Well, so here's the thing. I don't think I personally don't think it's a stupid lyric because this type of shit happens if you live in the rural United States. All right. Intentional or not. So, I mean, this is like, for example, Charlie Barron's the Midwest uh, comedian uh, from Wisconsin. He has this segment of his comedy where he describes how he discharged a shotgun into his family's minivan oh, <laughs> after Jesus hunting Christ. because of his dumbass brother didn't unchamber or unload it. Oh, so that's why God. like, I hear this lyric and I'm like, as someone that lives in the Midwest in Wisconsin, I'm like, yeah, that 
that shit can happen if people aren't careful. So <laughs> I personally the dice. love it. I love it. And again, here's the Midwest influence coming through of like, ah, shit, I shot a hole in my Kia Lorenzo, either intentionally or not. Right. Oh, Lord have mercy. And of course, there's another solo in this song. And I got to say, the solo has evolved. It's now four notes repeating for 16 measures. Whoa there. Slow down with your musical genius. My tiny brain can't take it. And yet still... I could listen to this song on repeat for hours. It goes down so easily and it's it's not annoying. I can't I can't fathom how this is possible, but it, it really is like video game music where you could just it's on loop for hours and you just don't even notice you're still enjoying it. It is very much they capture that energy and play with it this entire record. It's it's fabulous. So one thing that um, again, we're talking about lyrics, one of the lyrics that jumps out to me here is the lyric oh it ain't the worst thing i could do is get back home to you again here's i think an instance where the autobiographical nature is coming through because in an interview regarding his family and his move back to south carolina from seattle when he departed uh the interviewee or rather asked like hey what was was the call for home to allow to ignore he said yeah i've been talking about it for a long time we got to a point where we're touring so much at that nowhere was really home. So I figured at least if I'm going to go home for these long stretches of traveling, it'd be nice to be around family, parents, etc. And and he, he goes on to describe that. But what's kind of interesting is the way he kind of depicts it is there does seem to be a bit of maybe this tension and reluctance. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I suppose if it is, it's not the worst thing to do. So there may be some tension between, hey, I get this project going on that I'm close to getting broke on, that we're self-funding and trying to figure out there's this tension between work and family, I sense, from it. Yeah. And what a way to describe it. You're right. It's not the worst thing I could do to get back home to you. Mm. Yeah. I, you know what? I, this is as good a time as any dimension. Um, and again, all we can do is just read the art that is presented. And mm-hmm. there are some like sparse details that he's gone on record and said in interviews and things. So it's not like we're here investigating being creepy. We're we're just looking at the things that they have publicly announced or presented as art and inferring some data from that. So, well, I'm making a drink in the morning with the way things are, Mark. Mm-hmm. There's a 2022 interview with him and uh, Spin. The article is titled Band of Horses Survived, dot, 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 barely. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's in that interview, uh, at least that's where I found it, that he confirmed he split with his now ex-wife while writing the <laughs> Things Are Great album from 2022. Mm-hmm. So now I can't claim that they were having issues all the way back in 2010, because that is a long time to be with someone if you are having issues. But at the same time, I can't help but see that this, this as potential suggestions that things are not particularly great and that's continuing to like seep into the actual output of his art around this time. So I almost wish I hadn't found out about it. So that's why I'm sharing this little brain gremlin with you yeah. <laughs> because it almost does make me feel a little bit worse about the project as a whole and that like I feel bad for enjoying it so much because I do feel like this man was struggling potentially a little bit here and maybe a little bit of this was therapy for him more or less and obviously of course this is narrators and songs but as much before I do think there is a little bit of personal experience seeping into and informing the writing here so it is very sad to see some of this in retrospect now and if in arms knowing what we know now from 2022 it's sad but this is what gives this album depth 
and substance it does in my mind right in this in the sense that this isn't something i put on it's just ho donkey like happy go lucky whatever <laughs> right like i need some suffering damn it yeah well here's the thing is that like you need to have the struggles to have the pleasure right you can't have pleasure without pain right it's unfortunate but i think a lot of good art comes from the struggles throughout life and all that and that's kind of what i i think what we're noticing and seeing through here but what i like about him sharing that and putting his influence into this is that helps so many other people too when they're struggling with something similar or thinking through things to kind of process and work things out music is a good avenue for people to do that through um so I think it's just it's a good aspect of the medium, right, that that enables people to do that in like you mentioned about this autobiographical nature. It can be autobiographical, but underneath this guise of, well, it's not like upfront autobiographical. Like if someone wasn't digging into this as an active listener, it's just a song that they may listen to. And, oh, I kind of like these lyrics. These, they resonate with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a stark contrast to things are great. Their most recent release, which is. It's kind of strange where he does throw away more or less with that like mask and diverting that he tends to do or tended to do in previous releases. And I think in, in Infinite Arms case anyway, it is done tactfully well where there's just enough indirection, just enough masking where I don't feel uncomfortable. Like sometimes Benji made me feel where it just really yeah. does feel like this man is sitting down, uh, uh, you know, pouring out <laughs> into you. Yeah. Yeah. Benji. That's why I say Benji. Great record. Don't know if I'll necessarily listen to it again. Um, yeah. You got to be in the right headspace for that. Exactly. Exactly. So, Blue ready Beard. to talk about Bluebeard? Yeah. <laughs> I used to see the night so anxious, but now I know the only thing it ever taught me was a grand. This is one of my favorites on the record. Really? What? Bluebeard, Infinite Arms, and uh, it's a toss-up between Evening Kitchen and Neighbor are like my top three on this album. This is fascinating to me. Really? Okay. So what, what do you what do you got to say about Bluebeard? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, I don't dislike it. It is it is a good song. I just I don't have much to say about it. It's it's it plays an important piece in the track listing here where finally we get a bit of a breather. It still is super dense in terms of texture and instrumentation, but um, the pacing is slowed down. The beats per minute are slower. Uh, the subject matter is a little bit more like lackadaisical and reflective instead of uh, things are actively falling apart <laughs> like some of the previous songs. So, you know, it plays an important part. And I do want to say that the intro is by far one of the most interesting things on the record. Uh, the vocals just piling up and up and up, cascading yeah. towards the sky. It's, mm-hmm. it's bizarre. For those few measures, that is the only time they do anything close to it, this record, and then that's, that's it. Um, so super, super interesting there. And... It's kind of neat that the bassist Bill Reynolds collabed with Ben on this. So, hey, it's not just, you know, Ben through the entire album. Like there's collaborations. And in a few cases, it's literally just one of the other bandmates really doing the the track. So it's nice to get a little bit more voice uh, songwriting voice here at the fourth track mark. Yeah, I think why I like this song so much is in part, it's a good 
condensing of why I like this album so much is the visuals and kind of feelings it brings forth in me when I listen to it, right? This this song for me evokes the image of a winter nighttime Midwest bar. For example, if anyone's watched Grumpy Old Men, a lot of the scenery in that film are surrounding the small town bars. Similar songs that have similar plays on this are in the same vein of visuals for me is uh, Old City Bar by Trans-Siberian Orchestra, the Christmas album. So similar visual painting. And it focuses a lot on connections made and connections, friendships lost, like the lyric and something happened on the night I last drank with you in the neon glow. And this the delivery of now I don't see you anymore. And then it kind of leads off into the uh, into this almost explorers club. I've been waiting energy of la la la. Ooh, right. The backdrop accompaniment. <laughs> that is some explorers club level of of uh, <laughs> a vocal No, you're a hundred percent right. That uh, Dilly is where it comes out in full force. Dilly sounds like it was a track off the cutting floor of the Explorers Club, like full stop. Yeah, and I think the subject matter here is really interesting. The existential themes are visited again here. What if we die? No end and no conclusion. I think what he's referring to this is in part two ways and part of potentially the lost connections. Hey, there's no like movie closure to this. It's just kind of people drift apart. It's like, what happened? What's going on? And then if you die, there's no, it's like this hanging thread. Like, what do you make of it? And then also like, we don't get to see an out of body experience. I mean, I guess in the theological standpoint of, you die, you die. You don't get to see the aftermath and the epilogue. When you go, it simply lights out. It's kind of the philosophy I think that's painted here that he's struggling with is there's no end and no conclusion. There's no Hollywood production or credit scrolling. It's you're, you're gone, you're gone, right? And I sense that struggle with the relationships here with that existential struggle of, okay, th- these relationships may not be going too well or we've drifted apart in And why? I don't see you anymore. What happened? And again, we have this kind of this darker struggle of a subject matter similar to compliments, similar to factory. But then there's this beautiful echoey vocal harmony that accompanies it. Like it's almost some some sweet bitters in your stiff drink. Right. Something to make it a little bit more mellow to get it to go down because if it were full benji it's it's a little yeah they kind of have to choke it down yeah and i especially love that the song it takes its time it gradually builds the instrumentals and cadence from the start to a very satisfying end in my mind of the ending is earned especially that last verse where he's talking about rolling the dice take it for a ride you tell there's intentionality here right in terms of constructing the song there isn't this just, oh, we're just kind of meandering, then the song fades out. It builds to something, satisfies it, and then ends, right? That's what I think I really like about it in a, in a nutshell. The pacing in the song itself is great, to your point, that it just continues to build, build, build. It does make that payoff feel earned, because it was earned. I do like that you called out the what if we die block from the lyrics, because that's kind of the misdirection thing, the masking thing a little bit there, where... 
you can read that as him talking about, to your point, what if like we die, like someone actually dies, like there's no real Hollywood death scene or anything like that. Like, you know, how can you how how can you just go away without a fight? Like there's one way you could read it. Or I do like to me going a little bit deeper and contextually in the song itself, talking about those lost connections. And, you know, it's like, oh, what if the friendship dies? What we have together dies. And there's no real like. There's no actual conclusion to it. Sometimes people just stop yeah. talking. Like yes. you haven't heard from them in a while. There's no like goodbye. I'll never see you again. That that never happens. Nothing like in the movies. You just stop. And he here is like bemoaning that. Like how can we just stop? Like I don't know. I I don't know how we can live with that. And it seems like he's having trouble with that. And that continues into verse two. And I I can definitely empathize with that sentiment because I very much smiled and walked away from Illinois like all my friends in high school most of my friends from middle school and grade school was like peace I'm out yeah (laughs) that's been that's been that but there's truth to that I I think that's what the the media gets wrong a lot of the times right is the media depicts in a lot of sitcoms and stuff people never leave their school cliques if that makes sense, right? The school cliques or whatever the people they had in school that are stayed together through their all their early twenties and they live in the same geographical area. It's like that don't happen. I, I have yet to meet someone where that happens. And I think there's a healthy amount of recognition that that's sometimes how adulthood goes. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at here, right? Is it's okay in adulthood to have friendships that are not just because of proximity that then you have to be the friend. You can be, as an adult, a little bit more selective of, is this a friendship slot? Do we have opportunities to grow each other? Is this something that brings active value into my life? And sometimes you can just let go of those threads with, as he says, no end, no conclusions. I I like that spin that you're taking on it in the metaphorical sense of what if we, as in our relationship or our friendship, die, right? No end and no conclusion, yeah. Last thing, again, more Midwestern influence. Gotta love it. Where he's describing the Midwestern sky is gray and cold. The sun never shines, but that's all right. I don't know. Again, it's it's that visual. I just want to harken back to that. That I feel like this album is written for me <laughs> living in the Midwest. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the Midwest is nothing if not snow ridden and dreary most times yes. of the year. <laughs> so... I'm on my way back home. I really don't have a lot to say on this other than I need more cowbell. Yeah. I'm on my way back home. <laughs> Every step of victory it was, I was cheating. Um, but yeah, I, I really don't have a lot to say on, on my way back home, frankly. Um, it's nice. Yeah, I didn't have a whole lot to say about On My Way Back Home either. In my opinion, when we're talking about the energy of the album, it was after compliments is when we kind of start getting down to the basin of the energy of the album. And now we're kind of leading into the middle of On Way Back Home. But I do like the phrase here, as we've been talking about the autobiographical nature here, the lyrics, I'm pissing my life away in the form of a song On My Way Back Home. Yeah, it's obviously he's... I think struggles with that tension between work and family here. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to pursue this, but you're also could be viewing it as, okay, I'm pissing my wife away in the form of this. Like this could all just be for naught, Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, it, the whole album kind of has that, 
twang to it, that little twist to it, where it does seem like there's a little bit of self-destruction going on, just the, just the tiniest bit. And I'm not even going to say that's an autobiographical thing, but it, just the text, the narrators in these songs, definitely that's there in the text. So, yeah, it does add a little bit of, of flavor, of nuance yeah. to these songs for sure. It, exactly. It's nuanced. It's human. How many times have you changed your mind about how you felt about something going on in your life at the moment? Like every day, <laughs> I'll take yeah, every minute to minute. Right. So that's what I kind of like about this. We, we move from one song like, oh, I suppose it's not the worst thing to do for me to come back home to this more. I would say more upbeat take on it of, OK, I might be pissing my life away in the form of a song. I'm on my way back home and it's a little bit more looking forward to it, which I think is very human, right? If you put yourself in that, this theoretical person's shoes, right? Uh, I, I could see struggling with that. Yeah. All right. Is it time? Can I talk about Infinite Arms? The self-titled. In This song, I, I love this song, but yes, let's let's jump into it. This is uh, it's square in the middle of the album, I think. Right. If I if I'm recalling the album or, or the song order correctly. Right. No. Nope, yep. Track number six. It's the end of the quote unquote end of the first side. If we were to consider this. Uh, two-sided oh, LP. interesting. Right. Yeah. From the vinyl take, which you still have yet to find the vinyl. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't remind me. I, I look at it every time oh. I'm in Long in the Tooth and um, Repo Records, I believe, is the other place that I. Did they ever press it? Is that they did? I I, okay. I double checked. I'm like maybe they never because I mean 2010 yeah. anything's possible. I yes. was like maybe they never made a pressing for this, but no, they made many pressings. In fact, reissues and it's got a gatefold and everything. Oh, oh. I want yeah, one of these days though, that's fine. <laughs> All right, but the the song itself, like I gotta say, just real quick here, like the cricket soundscape quite literally coming face to face with the personification of death, Grim Reaper, whatever you want to call it. Like this is straight out of an early Lord Huron record mm -hmm. and the whistling too. like, God help me. Like it's so Lord Huron. And I, I recognize this came before most of like Lord Huron's stuff. So I'm not saying like, Oh, they aped his style, but I'm just saying like we both, you and I love Lord Huron. So it's fun to see a very mm -hmm. Lord Huron like song here done in yes. the band of horses style. Yeah. So one thing I really want to highlight, because like, this is something that jumped out to me on a very intentional listen to the song late at night that this past week is so i i agree i love the sampling the marsh sounds you get the birds chirping it leads off the song it even accompanies some of the initial instrumental courses but as we move into this song that sampling eventually fades away it's almost like the person who's sitting there introspectively in their screened in back porch on the lake, storm along on the guitar, you get into the song and else fades away. And what's nice, too, is we even get the, the singer eventually then starts to mimic the nature environment that they're in. They get to sing song whistle in the middle of courses, evoking those 4 a.m. birdies that we heard at the beginning of the song as he's sampling through. So a great artistic way and choice to convey the influence of nature into the song and then subconsciously still hearing the birdies in the background but then instilling that into the song but 
all else is still kind of faded away because we're into it. And it's only then when the song closes and fades away do we return to that quiet backdrop of the nature sounds and just, oh, what just an amazing production and use of this sampling in this track. Oh, 100 percent. And I you know what? I, I subconsciously knew that the sample wasn't there the entire song, but I never really put one or two together like, oh, it literally is like the background life fading away. And I, I, one could argue maybe that's when they have their metaphorical or actual death. Who knows? Shrug. <laughs> but I got to say, like the whistling at the end of the second verse, um, when they repeat uh, when my thoughts drift back to you, like it's enough to bring tears to my eyes, like every time. And that that lick, the when my thoughts drift back to you, uh, that lyric and that burst of lush instrumentation and strings and everything that comes out at that point of the song, uh, it's the bedrock, the foundation of the track, and the narrator's racing thoughts. So they're both in perfect sync where they're stressing or worrying or um, their their wandering mind is is keeping them awake or worrying them. And every time it comes back to the chorus uh, and it's the thoughts of them. And that's when everything recenters. It brings them and the track back into focus. It's beautiful poetry. It really is. And honestly, isn't that what it's all about? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, let's be honest, like when we're okay we all chase careers and jobs and all that and that's something as i've gotten kind of deeper into my 20s and almost into my 30s is when i reach retirement i'm not going to be looking back and saying you know i wish i spent more time here (laughs) um i like how you highlight the poetry here is that when you're put in this situation that's where things are going to drift to right so uh, I, I resonate a lot with that, especially the imagery here. Now there's something here before me, a figure, I think. I love this 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 phrase seen here. Isn't there a warning or something to drink? My God. <laughs> <laughs> and then the struggle as well. We don't have control of it. Others came before me, others to come. It's that transient, very Lord Huron, to your point of dealing with mortality. He does it through the theme points of uh immortality of living forever he plays around with that quite a bit but here this is a little bit more human and less fictional of of dealing with the subject matter which is quite interesting but no less ethereal no Mm -hmm. less enlightened yes it's uh, this is bar none the best track band of horses has ever put down period it stunned me the first time i heard it because i thought i had band of horses pegged like I know what they're about. I know their style. I know their limitations and I'm okay with that. I like that, you know, area they play in and that's fun and I'll go in and play them. And then this came and just completely threw me off. I I had no idea what to even think of it because there's just unassuming jewel smack dab in this album. It's made more tender and haunting by just how brief the experience is because they really never do anything else quite like this they never go this far in terms of artistry and um musicianship i would even say uh in terms of songwriting capabilities ever again like this this is peak and it's just there and gone and it's i think that is to the the self-titled tracks betterment as well that it is just this standalone monolith here a humble monolith but a strong monument nonetheless 
in this album and their discography as a whole. It's just, it's incredible to me. And when I was reading about the track, funnily enough, um, so he had this to say again on that the skinny <laughs> article. Um, so Ben says this song deals a lot with the major theme of the record and being the title track, maybe that's a little obvious, but this is one I'm not quite ready to unveil the mask on, but I can tell you that it almost didn't make the record, really? which is just <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> I don't understand how in any reality this may have not made the record. Like maybe this is a rewriting of an original song and the original one wasn't as good. I, I just don't understand. It could have been because it was more experimental. And it, maybe. to your point, there is nothing else quite like it on the album. So if you're dumb, it, it must have been perceived as a heavy risk. Perhaps. Yeah. Right. I just I would have loved Ben to have come back and talk more about this because it seems like he's hinting that there maybe is more going on here or something. I don't know. But as far as I've been able to find, he's never really come clean about like the songwriting process behind it, what he meant by that. It almost never made the record. I cannot fathom why at least the like handful, half a dozen interviews since that I found that none of the interviewers have thought to ask this. Like, <laughs> did they just not find that he laid this treasure trove of a potential story down for them and they just don't care enough to ask more about it? I just it blows my mind. But whatever. I'm glad it's here. It deserves to be here. And this to me, it just makes Band of Horses uh, a staple for my music life yeah <laughs> forever it's it's the title track it's smack dab in the album and it's the tentpole of the album i don't know i yes. agree with you i don't know this album wouldn't stand as well without this sitting in the center kind of laying the foundation for it no question mm-hmm. you ready for a little dilly little dilly i love this song don't get me wrong but i have like almost nothing to uh say about the it. only thing i have to say is this is very uh baroque style like i'm almost expecting a harpsichord in the background because it's very chugga 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 like heartbeat to the song it's very 70s like and that's where the explorers club comes in and like that yes. oh yeah yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I do love the track. It's just I don't really have a lot to say about it. And I think it's placement. It's perfectly placed. We, we need something really chipper and upbeat and pleasant after the really introspective and really like a uh, uh, third eye opening <laughs> self-titled track. So this is perfectly placed, but also like it's serving as a breather mentally. So like, I don't really have a lot to say uh, about it other than that I do really enjoy it. And the doo-wop B kind of <laughs> 70s style is really weird. I yeah. love it. But yeah, it is, it is interesting. I agree. I, I, those were the only like two points I had were it carries on the vocal harmonies and it has that very persistent chugga chugga beat to it with the Memotron and bass um, kind of keeps it driving through. But yeah, I agree. I don't have a whole lot else to say for it. I think the placement again, they were, they knew they were constructing an album. The placement was smart. <laughs> Put it here <laughs> after infinite arms. It kind of rides. I want to say rides the coattails of that, but it carries through the, the energy from it, but tra- helps you transition out of that song. Exactly. All right. Even in kitchen. Drive out with the song. Wasting my time 
this song yes. this song mm-hmm. is the only song on the entire record that f- i want to say finally does away with all of the texture mm-hmm. and instrumentation and more 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 that every song up to this point has had and finally we just have guitar and some harmonized vocals yes that just really helps the pacing here really slow things down before uh, we pick back up again with older and it's a Tyler Ramsey number. This is the guitar player coming out in full force. I'm pretty sure this is mostly him. I think Ben came in for a little bit of vocals, but like for the most part, this is a Tyler Ramsey number. And I think that really does help kind of break things up. Like we got a new sound, both vocal and songwriting voice wise. And it's just, yeah, it's delightfully bare heartbreaking. And as an aside, I can't stand the I hate you, I never cared about you anyway, peace, woo, break up songs crap that we hear on the radio and from like, I'm going to name names, Taylor Swift's kind of popularized this, at least in recent years again. Well, I mean, even look at Ludo and Goodwill Hunting by myself. I mean, that is like taking it to its caricature extreme, right? (laughs) Yeah, I just, I just, I can't stand that crap. And I love that this, it's like, oh God, some reality. Like, he's not happy about this. They're not happy about this. Like, everyone got hurt. There's a respect for it. And I, I think what carries through with this is the lyrical delivery and the lyrics themselves. And and if you're ever left with any doubt what you'll live with and what you'll do without, I'm only sorry that it took so long to figure out. Like, oof. I that hits home (laughs) Um, and we won't get into that here. But yeah, that that's what I think does this justice to your point. It's not one person completely walking away being like, "Ah, (laughs) you." there is mutual sadness to it, but there's decisiveness to it of this is the right call. It's simply, as they say, I'm only sorry that it took so long to figure out. And that vocal delivery there, too. I think it's they kind of do a duet delivery of that, too, that works really well. Whoever I think it's maybe Ben, I think, that does the um, uh, or someone else that does the backup. It might be Ben. I'm not sure. I have trouble picking out who's doing the supporting vocals most of the time. It's buried within the track itself and the mixing in the track that it's it's kind of hard to suss out exactly who is doing the harmonies. And to me, that actually is a strength of the vocal harmonies because they're the vocal harmonies aren't good (laughs) but they sound like they almost blend together in a harmonica style like it's very harmonica vocals to me it's very admiral fallow between the the lead singer and the female accompaniment but anyway uh yes i agree it's something that's like "Eh, this doesn't quite to your point work but it does (laughs) so it's the uh it's the timbre combination i suppose right Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, all I say that this song definitely uh, the lyrics uh, resonate more to elevate it more to kind of one of my favorites here for sure. Yeah, so you have anything else to say on Evening Kitchen? No, but I'm excited to talk about older. Ah, oh, I love it. It's so sunshine. I love it. <laughs> After all my plans, they melt into the sand. Yeah, you will be there on my It 
it is the perfect pick-me-up after that sobering evening kitchen. I love evening kitchen, but God help me, I can't do two of those in a row. Like, older is just so perfectly placed here, and it's wonderful to get to hear Ryan Monroe, the keyboardist. Like, it, finally, yay, he's here. Uh, I think he's been in the background helping with vocals here and there as well, but it's good to hear him at the forefront here for such a, a positive-sounding sunshine song. So you're talking about the solo and compliments, right? So this song for me is the vocal version of that solo <laughs> or lyrical version of that solo. It's as I was like pull up the lyrics. I'm like, holy shnikes. This song is just the same thing over and over again. Yeah. I never realized yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> that goes into their craft in the sense that I always was singing along to the song and liked it. <laughs> but like objectively, I was looking at the lyrics. I'm like, really? That's it? <laughs> yeah, it's uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple but man yes. are those guys having fun <laughs> yes exactly i'm just so happy for them <laughs> yeah but again it gets back to what we were saying with when we were talking about the solo very simple structure but the execution and how they do it is the skill set yeah exactly again i never realized it until i looked at it i'm like oh maybe this objectively is the weakest one lyrically on the album uh, well not <laughs> lyrically uh, uh, compositionally in terms of songwriting this is, is the weakest 70 percent of the song is the chorus just repeat it <laughs> um that's a lot that's a lot for a song it's the antithesis to arcade fires we used to wait oh my god <laughs> <laughs> wait for the chorus and ryan's like nope no only the chorus <laughs> <laughs> God, I love it, though. It's so positive. It's a great pick me up. I can't help but like sing along to it when it comes up. It's just so great in terms of the placement, the positivity. I'm just raring to get going when this comes up after Evening Kitchen. Mm -hmm. I agree. We're kind of easing out of the basin as we go throughout the album. Again, the, the pacing here is good. Oh, no, I would argue we're about to go right back down. In fact, the pits of the album with For Annabelle. Oh, right, yes. stop and see A small stone somewhere in your This is the worst track on the record, and it's such a sad state of affairs because the song itself, the writing of the song, it is a beautiful song, and I would love to hear it, but this is the one time in the record, in my opinion, where them burning the songs to a crisp with texture and adding stuff, adding stuff, adding stuff. They needed to pull this back like an evening kitchen. They needed to because we just got that really fun, bombastic uh, older. And then we're going to have a uh, Northwest apartment following this. We're about to pick right back up again. We do not need this to be filled to the gills with all of these layers and things. We really needed just Ben and guitar here for this, in my opinion. It's just it is it's such a disservice to this song. Um, I would disagree. I really like the texturing in this, particularly it kind of has a similar lick to Infinite Arms for me of yeah, I got a secret or two that build up that power to it. It does suck me in each time. So I don't know. I would I would disagree. I kind of like the electrical nuance to this and the kitchen sink aspect to it uh that's just me personally though 
But here I feel like it, it saps the song of the intimacy. It's distracting in a way that it's not for any of the previous songs for me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think having two two evening kitchens would have been a bit hard to pull off here. Because <sighs> I don't know. It, about it's kind of like you can't have two infinite arms in this and have them both stand. Right. It You kind of scratch that itch. Right. And you kind of I don't know if you can get the same satisfaction by revisiting something similar like that. Right. I I really disagree. And I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my homework here to support my <laughs> thesis. Um, Magnet Magazine's uh, Band of Horses Mystery Writers feature uh, where they were interviewing the band. Uh, they there's a little excerpt there where uh, Ben says we went bonkers with infinite arms because we could. It was a challenge to see what we could do. But we also overcooked some shit. I'm looking at this. This is overcooked. And (laughs) it's such a shame because I I also saw and for a, uh, you know, the community talks about the songs, obviously. And it seems like there's a lot of agreement as well about like, hey, like I saw this live and it brought me to tears. Like it's so intimate. It's so pure. It's Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking. And I hate what they did on the recording. Fair, fair, Um, fair. Yeah. I guess I don't I I, I, it's hard for me to imagine what that other depiction is. And maybe I would feel the same way. But as it's presented here, I I do like it. Yeah. And it's fine for you to have your your wrong opinions. (laughs) It's fine. Um, But I just I do want to put it on the record that for me, this is the one misstep of the album. Uh, And it's a shame because like I didn't talk at all about the contents of the lyrics and stuff, which is a little bit unsettling, honestly, kind of talking about more or less that there's monsters in the closet in our family and we're gonna lose some members of our family tree maybe even something's wrong with me it's like jesus christ dude yeah yeah (laughs) and yes of course narrator this isn't necessarily ben but also now we know 10 years 12 years or whatever down the road oh we've seen that um he separated from his now ex-wife and stuff it's like oh god like i it's very upsetting lyrics frankly and it's just such a shame because i can't i can't really enjoy and and feel these emotions here because the the textures are too distracting yeah i I can respect that (laughs) i mean i disagree but that's all right again i i can picture a world where i feel the same way it's hard for me to envision it without hearing other depiction right all right listener write in and let us know what you think (laughs) right i I stand by, though, that having both for Annabelle in that more intimate sense and Evening Kitchen, I think it would be hard to pull both of those off in the same album so close in proximity. I think the song order, the pacing things, the equation kind of changes if you mess with how Annabelle is currently done here. Hmm. You ready for Northwest Apartment? This is as full to the wall rock and energy as we get kind of similar to compliments here. Again, the symmetry of the energy on the album, uh, the penultimate track here. We revisit that energy, which is really, uh, really cool. Mm-hmm. I love the songwriting here, uh, particularly when all the parts equal more than the sum and the sum equals none. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> ah, OK. Who's that? that sleeping in my bed? <laughs> it's. It's a young adult musical whirlwind like yes. this probably never actually existed for the band, but also at the same time, like Ben's very much been in the traveling band world. And that actually was very much their 
life leading up to Infinite Arms, where it sounded like things started to maybe start to settle down a little bit. But um, a little bit of this has to be informed by real life uh, activities. I mean, I've been to one basement show, one. So I, I can't really claim that I've like ever been a part of that lifestyle. But boy, howdy, did I catch a whiff. And at the end, Cowbell's back. <laughs> yeah. So basement show. So I'm not sure what the, what's meant by that. Uh, unpack that. Um, OK, well, uh, at least for Philadelphia, there's like the row homes uh, and you go to an unfinished basement in one. The acoustics <laughs> is uh, not good. Um, you have a band on one end of the unfinished basement and the rest are filled like packed packed like sardines are drunk college kids oh my god listening to some emo stuff like that that you would hear in like basement shows yeah. and stuff and it's just it's it's an experience <laughs> that's pretty funny i had no idea that was a thing <laughs> oh yeah philly man yeah it's a uh, i mean i did it once <laughs> <laughs> philly man not even once I'm just yeah but it's it's fun to really get like a a glorious homage to the mess that is yes is that time in your life and the things that may or may not happen during that time in your life that's funny oh man yeah. <laughs> it's just there's there's a um championness to it yeah <laughs> even when the sum equals none <laughs> yeah, right right yeah, there. It, it, this does kind of have that same energy, though, as if it were a live recording, which is kind of interesting, because uh, when I first read the reply in the interview, that's kind of what I thought would be the other one. I was it said compliments I'm like, oh, and and Northwest apartment. No, no. And older. Oh, <laughs> that was a, a little surprise for me. But yeah, it's I think it, this uh, is a good pick me up. Uh, to bring us into the closer here of the of the album. Yeah, no, I'd agree. The closer, neighbor. Mm-hmm. Are you my neighbor? <laughs> Every house not a home, but dear to our own. There's a light on the porch here for someone. I appreciate neighbor. It's not. I put this in the same camp as Colorado for uh, Grizzly Bear Yellow oh, House. Oh, don't um, put it there. No. Yeah, I will. This is plotting, dude. No. It just like trudges along. Oh, but it, uh. it's a plotting goodbye. It overstays its welcome. Uh, Not a fan. You and closing songs, man. <laughs> you are very picky. I care about closing songs because it is an art and this one doesn't quite stick the landing for me. Though I will say I am a sucker for lines along the lines of like every house, not a home. And this is where finally pick it up that thread I put down at the very beginning of the episode where this is a very arcade fire line. Literally around the same time for the suburbs, you have the Butler siblings and everybody singing about how the house wasn't a home at what was it? The penultimate track of the suburbs or whatever. So it seemed like that was a sentiment being shared around by many at the time. But please tell me why you don't dislike this song like I do. <laughs> I don't dislike it because we ease into it again. It builds up to something. After No Frost Apartment, it's not trying to compete with that energy. So you get into it. It's intimate. And we build up to the closer. 
Um, the one thing that I'm not a fan of this that kind of drives me crazy is I do fade this song at the end, which come on, guys, like it, certainly we could have done something better there than a fade. I really dislike fades. They're usually done so badly. It's a crutch. You've ruined me ever since you've highlighted that. I noticed them and they drive me crazy because um, <laughs> it is such a crap. What do we do with this? Fade it. <laughs> I think I think why I like this song as a closer is like I described the energy and complimenting Northwest Apartments, but does still end on a little bit more of an energetic note. The lyrics here I really do like. I think this speaks to the themes, the general themes of the album, particularly in Infinite Arms. For example, I'll kind of go through some of the key lyrics here that I like. Uh, So when the law acts as though there's nothing to show, there's compassion and depth in a neighbor. For me, this harkens very Midwest. You know, the Midwest niceness of meeting strangers. And I mean, it it seems very reflective of kind of what I wrote about in the foreword for mom and dad's guest book. Right. For example, in the foreword, I wrote in the dive bars, all resorts and sunny shoals, there's companionship to be found. Very similar themes here. And again, I love these lyrics because I felt like they're written for me (laughs) and that (laughs) you could sense that influence in there. I had the same call out about every house, not home. I think that's an interesting highlight you bring forth of. Yes, it has similar I guess, discussion points and themes to what they highlighted in the suburbs about, hey, there's a lot of houses here, but where's my home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like this one because it's kind of, I think it's just cute and cheeky is the door stood as if it was standing guard. <laughs> I the, knew you were going to talk about this one. <laughs> the dozen chipmunks in the backyard. <laughs> I just have this amazing imagery of these like chipmunk army trying to get into the house. This camera low down from the chipmunks perspective in this towering door. Like, <laughs> I like how you're like, oh, I know Michael's going to talk about this. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I saw that. I'm like, this mother is going to bring this up on the podcast. I just know it. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know. Uh, for me, the lyrics are a nice closing here. I think it's well done uh, from an execution standpoint. I'm just not a fan of the fade, but uh, I think it's yeah. a good closer to the album. Yeah. The, the lyrics are good. I, I like the songwriting here, in, in term, or the writing anyway, um, for the lyrics. But yeah, I just I just don't care for the song itself. It's a dirge. It's a dirge. <laughs> I'm be- I'm being unfair. I don't hate the song. The only song on the album I actively dislike is for Annabelle. Um, and again, that's not even because of the song itself. It's the production on the song that lets it down, which is a real shame. And again, in my opinion, asterisk. But Neighbor's fine. I just don't think it's a great ending to this. But I do, I, again, talking about the things I like in the song, I do like the line, we could live by our own laws and favor. Like, that feels, again, very Midwest to me, uh, rural Midwest, where if you do something wrong, law enforcement is a uh, very far away. <laughs> you could probably get away. But it's just, no one does that. And everyone's on the same page. It's just kind of beautiful in that sense. There's accountability in small town communities. Yes. Mm-hmm. At least having awareness of everyone, not knowing everyone, but kind of being able to structure in your head a a little bit of a who's who keeps people socially accountable, which is not necessarily a bad thing here. So. so that's it. We've talked about every track on Infinite Arms. We did it. Yeah. I'm really glad that we decided to visit this one on the podcast. Yeah. One of my many re-listens. I was like, it's time. I can't believe we're kicking the can on this. Any closing statements? No, just that I 
don't know if this one's going to be topped on my most played. It does reflect that it is home for me. So I don't think anything's coming really close to that. I mean, Lonesome Dreams is in third. I guess I could get close, but yeah. That really is a testament to what we've repeated, both of us, throughout the episode here, where it is just so infinitely uh repeatable. Mm -hmm. It just goes down so smooth. I don't really have any closing statements other than that, in much in the same way as you, this is just, it's going to stick around. I'm going to constantly go back to this and continue going back to this. And I sometimes revisit the other Band of Horses releases, some of their earlier stuff. I've tried some of their newer stuff and it didn't stick for me personally, but it's just, this is the one for me that everything came together. You know, I will always maintain hope that maybe Ben will find the magic secret sauce again and mm-hmm. can come out with something else that the stars align for, such as this. But until then, they'll keep spinning above as they do on the album art, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. When I think Ban of Horses, I think this album exclusively. Um, so that means, dear listener, listen to it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Please do. But I do believe it is time to call this an end. We have talked for way too long about Infinite Arms. But Michael, thank you for finally taking the time for us both to sit down and talk about this together. It's been a lot of fun. It has. I'm glad we spent the time, set aside the time to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, listener, for tuning in as well. Uh, We mentioned a lot of articles, a lot of quotes. Everything we mentioned is going to be in the show notes and linked in the show notes for you to go and read if you want to read more. Where are the show notes? You can get the show notes on badmusichurts.com. That's hurts like the car company or hurts like it hurts me. Both work. Or in your podcast player of choice, asterisk, not all podcast players display show notes. That's interesting. But (laughs) ones like Apple Podcasts show show notes. Uh, Overcast does as well and plenty more as well so if you do not see show notes then you might want to consider checking out some of the many amazing third party independent podcast players out there and see if any of them fit your lifestyle but but until next time thank you for tuning in and keep that record spinning goodbye What tea did you do? Oh, I just picked up. So I went and got like some ridiculous bag size, like eight ounces or something. Two bags worth of that for a rooibos. Um, oh. There's vanilla and almond, two separate bags. Ooh, um, and almond. the almond rooibos is godly. That it is so awesome. Yeah. So good. Very, very um, nutty tea. Oh, yeah. God. Well, yes, nutty. But it is naturally sweet. So it's just such a great after dinner thing. Mm, Oh, oh my God. I've been having tea time basically every evening. And it's like my new favorite thing. Yeah. I'm officially an old. Yeah. I've been getting into tea a lot uh, lately, too. Mom turned me on to a company called August Tea. Um, Mm. And I'm actually I pulled up their website right now because I kind of want to see if they have an almond flavor.
Let's check this out. Basically, any Roybus is, is good. God, I, it is a top-tier tea. It tickles all of the same sensations that a good green tea would, but there's no caffeine, and it's not a diuretic. Oh, and you yeah. can just keep drinking it, and you're fine. And also, there's health benefits. It's like, this is top-tier tea, S-tier tea. Yeah. There's no tea better than it. <laughs> oh, It's so good. Chocolate nutmeg Roybus. Oh, man. Oh, God. Uh, right, let's see your sugar. do 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 and that's the other thing. I tend to like the accent flavors for rooibos as well. I like a, a traditional rooibos mm-hmm. that's still very good, but um, uh, like vanilla is good. There's caramel and then there's the chocolate ones you're mentioning. We've had gingerbread before as well. There's just so yeah. many different twists on it and they're all so good. Um, the only one I, I shied away from at the place was like a mint one, a mint rooibos. Yeah. And like, I just I'm not big into mint in my tea. Like I I appreciate it, but yeah. no. It's tough to do right. Um and I can't help but think like my manager at my company says, "Oh, oh, I can't do tea in the states cuz it all tastes like soap to me." And I'm like, "Really?" And then I had some mint tea. I'm like, "Yep, okay. I could I could see that. I could see the soapiness." <laughs> um Yeah, and I'm going to push back on that. Like don't get grocery store oh, yeah tea the heck are you doing or if you're gonna do that like you need to pay out the butt for like a, no. a, a twinings or a like rishi um but i mean there's plenty of well I, not plenty there's one good place in philadelphia that i thought closed up literally years ago because they used to be near rittenhouse and i'm like oh they're just not here anymore yeah. okay well i guess they closed up shop or whatever and come to find out literally this past month like oh my god you're still around yep. you're here you basically moved to like more or less a tiny warehouse and some like rent an office building somewhere so i went there and sure enough she's still there all of her super high quality teas and um come to find out like she supplies a lot of the bougie restaurants in the area too with their teas so like when you go and get like a ten dollar like herbal fruity tea at like some hoity-toity place in rittenhouse they're sourcing it from her in all likelihood so um yeah her stuff is very good nice so it's just where you look yeah you know yeah it is Nice. Good deal. Good deal. All right. The next one. Uh, Ladar. Uh, uh, Le- Laredo. L- L- Laredo. Thank you. <laughs> All right. The next one. Laredo. <laughs> Literally autobiographical or uh, autobiograph. Oh, God, please help me. Autobiographical. 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 <sighs> autobiographical. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Anywhere from these two have nothing to do with each other or autobiographical. 